Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? I'm okay, but I've been racking my brains uh, for uh, a couple of days now. I can't think of a topic uh, to talk about. Uh, you know, creativity eludes me. Uh, you got any ideas what we should talk about? Well, I thought you said some time ago that you wanted to talk about creativity. Yeah, but that's not original. No, it's not. It, well, if you create a new version of an idea, then it's original, right? If you alter an idea rather than copying an idea, that makes it original. And also, I think it's uh, not a violation of the law if we do that. So, yes, <laughs> let, us, let us pretend <laughs> that uh, we are the first people ever to talk about Zen and creativity. And if we've talked about that in a previous episode, let's pretend we didn't and just do it again. <laughs> so let's start by talking about the Zen arts. And, and I find this interesting that you don't hear much in other religions or philosophies about arts that are linked to them. But Zen has a number of arts. Yeah. It's painting. Like that, 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 that whole Vatican Museum with all that Renaissance stuff. Nothing, nothing there about art uh, at all. Um, but see, that's not, I don't think that's the same. In Zen, the arts are an expression of Zen attitudes. In Christianity, it's iconography. It's representing Jesus and the saints and, and all that in paintings. It's not those, those ornate icons of Orthodox Christians are not there to do anything more than present attractive pictures. And maybe, of course, incite a bit of, you know, religious feeling. But in Zen, it's very different. Uh, you look at haiku, which is one of the Zen arts. You look at Zen painting and calligraphy. And these are more to elicit an, a subtle idea of something. The something that we can't describe, and we've been doing 94 episodes of this podcast, and we still haven't described it yet, because that's what Zen is. Yeah, there's a, a Japanese term for that. It's je ne sais quoi. And uh, what you say is exactly right, which is why if you go into a uh, Buddhist uh, temple, you will find no depictions or statues of Buddha anywhere. So I, I think, uh, I mean, but you're, you're making a distinction between Buddhist art and Zen art. Is that right. what you're doing? Right. I see. Uh, again, Buddhist art is representational. When you look at the uh, Buddha statues all around Asia, when you look at the Tibetan tankas, which are representations of the Buddha and the various Buddhas and the visualizations in Tibetan Buddhism, they are meant to be representational. They're not meant to be something that does that click that good art does when you see something and you're moved by it. So you're saying when you see Buddhist art, you're not supposed to be moved? No. What I'm saying is the goal is more representational, like portrait painting. Hey. Now, you can be moved by Vermeer's paintings of people. In fact, there's reviews of a wonderful show in Amsterdam of his paintings, and they're very moving. I've seen a number of them. But it's not the goal. The goal is representation, whereas the goal in a lot of Zen art is 
that kind of slightly askew idea of making you realize something you didn't realize. Okay, well, uh, first of all, we've made the distinction between Buddhist art and Zen art, or as we call it, Zart, as in (laughs) he's Zartsy-fartsy, like that. Zen art. (laughs) So uh, traditional Buddhist art shows the Buddha, usually dipped in gold with uh, halos, and it shows the ideal pure land image. But there is something about Zen art that is supposed to depict something that cannot be depicted, which makes it really hard to depict something that cannot be depicted, which means that uh, you got to be kind of creative to do that. Exactly. But not only creative, but there's a number of traditions in the way Zen art is done in compositions and styles, etc., that kind of, you know, when we talk about koans on the podcast, these are traditions that are handed down over the centuries, the style of the koan, the presentation of them. And it's kind of similar in Zen art. The, the basic haiku, five syllables, then seven syllables, then five syllables. I don't know the reason behind this. There's probably some logic. It's not numerological, but it has something to do with the Japanese language. And this is a kind of a structure that they've built to be able to express these simple ideas in poetry. You um, know a lot more about this than me for a simple reason. I've spoken about this many times. When you become a Zen teacher, there's the image that you automatically become a master martial artist, gardener, uh, poet, painter, calligrapher, uh, musician, a, a master of the shakuhachi, which you are. And I am... No, I'm a, I'm a player of the shakuhachi. I'm not a master. I'm far away. Well, you at least know which side to blow in. Exactly. Which is more than me. Yes. So uh, I am none of those things. I, I, I have my, you know, good qualities, but I know I, I am neither poet nor painter uh, nor prophet nor pundit or anything else that begins with P. I am, I am <laughs> none of those things. So uh, please, I turn it over to you. Tell me about Zen art. Well, shakuhachi is a good place to start because originally the shakuhachi was blown by monks of the Fuke Zen sect. And no, now, now we're going to get letters. No, they're going to have to bleep that out. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so these monks would be out begging for food and they would be blowing the shakuhachi. And it was a way of them indicating that they were monks. But it was also... Don't say blowing. We're going to have to blow that. We're going to have to beep that out. <laughs> By the way, this is a little footnote, footnote, Japanese slang that is slang for what you think it is. Playing the shakuhachi is slang for that act that we're not going to mention. Or that other yes. thing. Just continue. Go on. Uh, I've seen translations on Facebook from Japanese that translate playing shakuhachi by that thing that we're not going to mention. Anyway, playing shakuhachi is very interesting. Unlike Western instruments, which are time-based, right? I'm sure you had piano lessons or recorder lessons or or kazoo lessons when you were young. And so you learn that the sheet music is, say, four notes uh, every measure and a rhythm, a strict rhythm. You have a metronome. In the shakuhachi, music is scored according to your breath. So in a piece, you have a phrase and then you have a mark when the phrase ends. And you're meant to play that phrase in one breath. Yeah. If your breath is short, you'll play it more quickly. When you've got more experience and your breath can be longer, you can play it longer. Occasionally, you play two phrases one after another. Let me see if I understand you. 
Short phrases are short. Longer phrases are longer. I've got you. Go ahead. No. All phrases are based on the breath. You can play mm. some pieces shorter and some pieces faster, depending on the style. But you take a breath at the end of a phrase. It's marked on the score. And you build a phrase around your breath. You're, when you're starting a phrase, you're seeing where it's going. You know where it's ending. You know you have to do it all on one breath. So let, let me see if I understand this. While you're playing the shakuhachi, it is important to breathe. Very important. Thank you. Because if you can't, then you can't blow the shakuhachi. Beep. Okay. I, I know you don't have your shakuhachi here uh, with you, but holding one nostril closed, could you give us an example? <laughs> of uh, just by, by humming through your, your, your left nostril, could you give us an example of what you mean? Go ahead. No, but I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to um, an extraordinary performance by a shakuhachi master that I really like. So you can check in the show notes a YouTube video of very good quality. It's good time to thank after, how many episodes did you say? Your teacher who provides our theme music. That's right. Ms. Day. Kiku Day. Uh, which, if no one has noticed, it is a traditional Japanese folk song called the Hava Nagila, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. I just want to continue. Some styles of shakuhachi do have a more rhythmic playing, but the, I don't want to say the original style, the more, um, well, the more historical style is based on the breath. And this is a different way of thinking of music, that the music is you. It's your breathing. And it's not the rhythm that someone imposed, which is the rhythm of life and time and the heartbeat, etc. But it's uh, there can be a day when you're playing a piece. Th there's a very simple piece, the first one I learned. And I, I can, when I first started playing it, it took about five minutes. And then as I got better, better because my breath was better and the way I was blowing was using less air. I could play it for about 10 minutes. So what you're saying to me is, because it's Zen music, uh, basically there are no rules, and you can blow or not blow as long as you wish, and it's good shakuhachi. Is this what you're saying? There are tons of rules. There are no rules. There are tons of oh, rules. What are, what are a couple of the rules? Give, it just, give us an example. Well, there's um, there are particular fingerings. One of the most difficult things about shakuhachi is there... Don't talk dirty, please. Now, okay. <laughs> I told you this. <laughs> one of the difficult things about shakuhachi is there's one piece, and I don't remember exactly what it is, but when I'm going up, there's one fingering for a specific note, and when I'm going down, it's a different fingering. And it makes it a little bit hard to remember. And these are, these are not rules as such, but these are meant to have different tone colors. Okay, it's, it's all about fingering and blowing. We've got this. <laughs> now... <laughs> What I want to get at is people think that Zen is about freedom. We spoke about this in our last episode, and this episode is supposed to be a continuation from last time about how Zen people originally, especially the beatniks, you know, Alan Watts, Zen is about all you want to do. And then Alan Watts wrote the great Square Zen and Beat Zen, right, where he said, hey, man, there's actually Square Zen, which is following all these rules. So in our last episode, we discussed how there are actually rules and rules and rules. And I think it's actually true in Zen traditional arts, too. Even painting. The Egyptians in 5,000 years changed their painting more than the, the Japanese and Chinese. Well, that's not true. No, that's not true. But they were subtle differences. You know, you'd paint a, a lake, you'd paint a boat, 
you know, you paint a hut, you paint a boat with a hut. There were some, some mountains. There were there were rules about painting. I think in the music too. I think in the poetry too. What they looked for was the subtle expression of creativity within the rules. Would you say that's true for the music as well? It definitely is. You have to learn the rules to break the rules. Once you've learned the rules and you've learned the way a piece is played, and in Shakuhachi, you have different schools and different styles. So a given piece is played very differently by this school than that school. But once you've learned that, you have the freedom to change some of the ways you're playing, not the notes as such, but change the way you're playing the notes, uh, maybe how long you're playing them, um, maybe how loud, how soft, etc. I think the best way to look at Zen art and even Chinese art is to consider calligraphy. Since we use an alphabetic language in languages we speak, we don't really have calligraphy. I mean, it exists in this beautiful, uh, you know, wedding invitations, right, that are hand-drawn. But when you have a character that represents something, it's a totally different concept. When you're drawing the character of forest, that looks like a tree, right? This one. You know what this one is. For those people on the podcast, let me describe. He just moved his finger in looking like a tree, which is the, the character, the, the Chinese-Japanese character for tree looks like a stick with two branches sticking outside. Continue. Right. And, and the character for forest is two of those together or three. I'm not, I don't remember. So when someone's looking at a character, it's an image of something. You're seeing more than just the character. So if you look at Japanese and Chinese calligraphy, it has to follow rules. And one of the most interesting rules I find in, I took a calligraphy course many years ago, the strokes of a character have to be written in a certain order. And if they're written in a different order, someone who looks at it can see that you've written with an accent. This is true. And and what has happened uh, for me is uh, that in my attempts over the years to learn calligraphy, I just skipped all the middle part of actually learning the proper way to write the kanji. And I just went right directly. I went to the, the expression. <laughs> so someone looks at my your calligraphy and they say, you're breaking all the order of the strokes. And I said, yes, because I'm a Zen man. The, <laughs> it doesn't bind me. Uh, uh, so I just skipped that middle part of actually learning the proper way to do it and just went to the uh, the expression, which is good because uh, my, my calligraphy are very personal to me, which means basically I'm the only one who can read it. <laughs> But uh, uh, this is important, too. There, there has come a time in the modern world where Western art came back and actually brought freedom to Japanese and Chinese art, too. So, for example, the people in the, from the 1920s and 1950s, even Van Gogh, was influenced by Japanese art. And, and they learned the so-called uh, freedom of Zen art, which wasn't really there. So they created in the West very much abstract art, which was a dash and throwing some colors and doing what the heart says. This came back to China and Japan, which the Japanese artists saw, and they brought it into their calligraphy. They brought it into their painting to bring that, uh, shall we say, breaking the rules and self-expression, which wasn't there in the first place. Yeah. And and so they actually created what people thought was there originally, which was just breaking the rules and do what you want. So now you can 
do calligraphy that breaks all the rules. You can make paintings in, in vaguely in the traditional style or, or Japanese music for the, the koto or the shamisen or any of the great instruments that don't pay, or the shakuhachi, that don't pay attention to the rules. It's not because Zen influenced modern art. It's because modern Western art came back and influenced Zen. How about that? One good example, the composer Toto Takemitsu, who died uh, a few years ago, he was a Japanese composer who was very much influenced by Debussy. And instead of creating traditional Japanese music, or what was considered Japanese classical music of the time, which wasn't the Koto and the Shakuhachi, he veered and created this style of music that marries the Japanese tendency and the Western tendencies. He was influenced so much by the West, and then he influenced the West. He wrote a, um, a concerto for Shakuhachi and Orchestra, for example, yeah. which combines the old instrument and the new orchestra. And he has a style of music that is unique. I'll put a link in the show notes to a, I believe there's a video of a percussion work that he did that's about 30 minutes long, which is as much interesting for the music as for the ballet of the performers as they're playing the work. Thank you. I've never heard of him. What is his name again? Todu Takamitsu. Todo. 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 T-O-R-U. Todu Takamitsu. Very wonderful. Tiny, tiny little trivia bit. Many years ago, I was on a course. I used to teach English as a foreign language in France, and there was a Japanese-American guy in the course, and we got to talking, and I mentioned Takamitsu. He said, oh, Uncle Toru. It was his uncle. He was from Washington, and his father was Takamitsu's brother. But I like that levels. What is the six levels of whatever? We call it in Buddhism. It's very important. It's called Engi, the, the, uh, the connection of karma. So no, that that's that that is uh, for for a Buddhist. That's a very important thing. You met someone you had a karmic connection with. So let's talk about the Enso. What could be more simple than a circle? What could be more Zen than a circle? The Enso is a symbol of enlightenment. You can see over my shoulder. I've got a big one on the wall. No, they can't. It's a podcast. No, they can't. I'm talking they to you. See. I'm talking to you. Okay. And yeah. and I find this figure interesting. Another link in the show notes to a book which is unfortunately out of print that I believe it was Shambhala who made a book about the Enso showing 60 or 80 Ensos over time and the different styles that you can have in an Enso. And some of them uh -huh. look perfectly round and some of them are a bit off kilter. And the expression of the artist comes through in the subtlety in which they paint it. And what could be simpler than painting a circle except... I have a tremor, and I can't paint a circle that's round, right? And it's a broken circle. It's bro there's a, a it's the open well, space. No, not always. Many ensos are not broken in the history of Japanese art. Uh, occasionally, I've, I've left a uh, a glass on the uh, coffee table and uh, left a ring, and I've explained. My wife has said, "What are you doing?" And I've said, "I'm just making an enso." Uh, but that didn't work in my house. That joke also didn't work. Do cut that out. No, no, I'll, I'll leave it in because I have a wooden tea tray that I use every day for my teacup. Uh -huh. And one day there was this wonderful circle and I took a photo of it. I'll link in the show notes to the photo and I call it Tea Tray Enso. I, I am speechless because I, 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 this is a show about uh, creativity and I, I'm running out. Uh, let me get in the place. How does Zen help creativity? Now, there's a, there's a good topic. Yes, there is. Um, another link in the show notes to a book by John Dido Lurie, the 
wonderful Zen master who died maybe 10 years ago. He was also a photographer, and he wrote an extraordinary book about creativity. He was a Renaissance man, uh, a man of many talents, uh, uh, Dido Laurie. And uh, I do believe there's, there's one place where Zen can make us truly creative. Even though Zen is bound by rule, when we sit Zazen meditation, we clear out all our preconceptions, and we start with a blank canvas, and it truly allows us in the open clarity when our thoughts and uh, the complexities that's in our head, when that all drops away, there's room for something to emerge, inspiration. So I do know that Zen, as billed, this was this is no exaggeration. Zen, as billed, can provide the, shall we say, light and clarity and 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 openness to be creative. That can be for music. I, I I've spoken here. It was it's true. I know some scientific researchers who come here when they sit Zen. Ideas will emerge. Many types of creativity can emerge just from being quiet. And they can also emerge when you're in the shower. Yes, they can. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm usually singing. I'm usually singing in the, in the shower. Oh, so. okay. Just, just to talk a bit about Zen and photography, which John Dido Lurie talked about, what's interesting in photography is unlike other art forms, it's instantaneous. The photographer clicks the shutter and grasps something. I find that as an amateur photographer, Zen lets me see things differently than I might have seen otherwise. In other words, to me, a photograph is the choice of the photographer where he puts the corners of the frame, right? You're pointing your camera. Zen will allow you to appreciate the, shall we say, the microcosm. Yeah. For example, I went hiking, beautiful hike in the mountains, and the mountains vast. There were trees everywhere, just like the Chinese character for trees, tree next to trees, more than three, trees everywhere. But one time I, I noticed a leaf, and I noticed the veins in the leaf, and I noticed the bend in the veins in the leaf. And I sat there and lost track of time staring at a leaf. I know it sounds hippy-dippy. But that's exactly what I did, because we can notice the small. Right now in your environment, there's an infinite number of things going on in your field of vision. In your day, the brain does not notice untold things that are happening. And if you really look, 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 you can see. But there's an asterisk there. Ask me what the asterisk is. What's the asterisk? If you live like that all the time, you couldn't function. I mean, come on, you're just sitting there for hours looking at a leaf. Your wife would say, hey, we got grocery shopping. Come on, put the leaf down. That's why the brain filters out so much stuff. But we can choose at certain times to, to focus our awareness on things that we don't usually see. That's the trick about Zen that people sometimes miss. They think that, oh, I'm going to notice everything. I'm going to be in the moment always. No. It means sometimes, and you should, uh, honestly, at least once a day. Here's my prescription to you. At least once a day. doesn't have to be a leaf. Really look at something. 
Don't think about what it is. Don't try to analyze it. Don't try to pull it to pieces or think, why am I sitting here looking for five minutes at a fork or whatever it is? <laughs> Just look silently. Be in the moment. And then go do the grocery shopping because your wife's angry. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.